psychotic geeks obsessed with every little detail. It'll never get on the air. Well, I think it's good for a show to go off the air before it becomes stale and repetitive. I've just been informed that we are going off the air. Off air with Emily and Catherine. I just got a Papa John's ad on my phone, and they, like, are making the pizza. Yum. <laughs> what did you do? I dropped my phone, oh. but it, like, bounced out of my hand. It flew out of like, your hand? And I caught it and, like, smacked it. <laughs> I don't know. You playing volleyball with your phone? <laughs> Basically. <laughs> That's funny. You're so funny. I haven't been to the store, so I just have, like, leftover bullshit to eat today. So I ate that half of a turkey sandwich this morning. Was, was that like, good? That's, it was really good. It, when I picked it up yesterday, I was like, ooh, this is a hearty sandwich. It was hefty. I've heard good things about their marketplace sandwiches. Yeah, it was pretty good. I liked it. I've never gotten one. I'm always like, you know what you should get? You should try that. What do I always get? Friendship. Yeah. I don't know. I... Probably because I've had Arby's every day this week. I was so ready for not roast beef. Yeah. 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 Nothing pink or whatever color that is. Brown. Was it brown? Pink Pinkish and then brown. brown. Yeah. It's like pink first and then it's brown. Yeah. This is like something the kids get. Mm-hmm. I don't like that. What is mm-hmm. it? What flavor? Maple something. Oh. Is yeah. it the crunchy one? Yeah. Mm. I got that. I also go get my yogurt. Okay. BRB. Huh. What is so cute? I was <laughs> chewing in the microphone to see if it would show up. <laughs> Look, I'm finally down to the last three crackers of my Triscuits that I what bought flavor three months those? ago. The dill, sea salt, and olive oil. What? What? Was it? Oh. Christmas parade day. Mm-hmm. I ate your Triscuits. Yeah, it was yeah. at least two months ago. Yeah. They're good. I, I like the flavor. Triscuits. I don't know. I have a love-hate relationship with Triscuits. I have a love-love relationship with Triscuits. <laughs> oh, I made it. Let me eat some crackers every single day. I like I like them, but then sometimes I like I just really don't like them. Mm-hmm. I get you. I think it's because they're just dry. Yeah, I always eat cheese sticks with mine or yeah. turkey pepperonis. <clears throat> I bought pepperoni when I went to... Uh, when we went grocery shopping the last time, and Christopher's mm-hmm. like, why are you getting pepperoni? I was like, because I like pepperoni. Because I want to fucking eat it. <laughs> <laughs> so I realized what happens. Because um, sometimes, like, when I first started listening to True Crime Garage, mm-hmm. their episodes were, like, one. One case per episode. Yeah. And now it's, like, into. now it's, like, you know, part four of this case. Because... The more you get into it, the more yeah. you really need it. Yeah. Because I was kind of into this one because I've heard it a few different times. Mm-hmm. And I was like, man, this is a small case. Why is this five pages? Yeah. So I don't know. But once you got into it, you were like, oh, that's why it's five pages? Or you yeah. still don't know why it's five pages? <laughs> I, I feel like I just had so many more details that I was interested in that I was mm-hmm. like, well, I got to put that in there. Mm-hmm. So. Well, I have a photo one for that. Oh, my God. Jesus Christ. Oh, let me turn this off. Goodness. Who am I? Patra. Huh? From Off Air with Emily and Patra. Which is what this is. Hey. Oh, my God. Hi. (laughs) (gasps) Um, Snuck right in there. I did. I snuck it in. So I want to talk about real quick. 
the picture I found on my calendar today. <laughs> okay, I... <clears throat> sorry. Ugh, gross. I thought I had found them all, but I'm so glad I did it. Me too. Did you happen to see in my bathroom when you went to pee yesterday? No. The one you stuck in my makeup bag, mm-hmm. I then just stuck on the wall like this little hexagon thing shelf that's in my bathroom. I just stuck it up there. So if you're a dude that like stands to pee at the toilet, you come eye to eye with PTK. <laughs> but if you're a lady, it's fine. Yeah. No, I didn't notice it. Yeah. And I like looked at all your stuff. Did I'm you? really nosy. And so all I was my like, stuff I didn't like out. move anything. I was just like, look at all her pretty makeup. All like, of my oh, stuff's out. Just sitting there. I love it. I was so glad that the apartment was kind of clean yesterday when you came yeah. over to pee. That's fine. Yeah. So our uh, pipes at work were frozen yesterday because it was, you know, negative, negative a thousand. Yeah. In the Midwest, in the in the United States. In I mean, Ukraine. everybody's aware because <laughs> everybody's aware because that's all that's been on social media, at least on my social media. But our pipes at work were frozen yesterday and it was like. What, nine? Mm-hmm. And we'd been the, here for like four hours. Yeah, both Patrick and I had already been here for four hours and <clears throat> didn't realize that the pipes were frozen until probably, what, an hour after we've, we'd already been here, really? Oh, yeah. And we both had had at least a cup of coffee and at least mm-hmm. a bottle of water. And we've got big, big, giant bottles of like 32 ounces yeah, of water is a bottle yeah, of water for ounces, us. Yeah. And, uh, and then we were like, we went to the bathroom once, and we were like, oh, shoot, the pipes are frozen. And then we were like, it was like 9 o'clock, and we're like, uh, we got to go again. Mm-hmm. And Patra lives right down the street from where we work, which is great, because she's like, I'm going to go pee in my apartment. And I was like, uh, can I come? <laughs> can I come? So we literally drove to Patra's apartment, went upstairs, went pee, and then came back to work. Yeah, because we're cool. <laughs> we're cool, yeah. classy ladies. And I left a note on my desk that I went to pee, BRB. Yep. And the plumbers weren't scheduled to be there until, like, three hours after we had gone. Right. And we got back, and one of our coworkers was like, oh, the water started, like, two minutes after you left. And we're like, <laughs> "We're like, no, it didn't. He, we thought he was pranking us. And we're like, no, he didn't. And he's like, no, for real. No, actually. <laughs> no, actually. That's what's up. Ugh. So that was an adventure yesterday. It was. It was a grand, it was old, a grand old time. great adventure. But it's fine. I want you to know that I flushed before I even sat down today. I was like, is this working today? Do these work? <laughs> I'm checking. Yeah. Because if not, just not going to pee, I guess. I got to throw this away because it's driving me crazy. Okay. Have you watched the Ted Bundy thing on Netflix yet? Okay, no. Um, I watched like the first 10 minutes, mm-hmm. but I'm always playing a video game or something, and I never pay attention. Yeah. But also, I think it just came out... Um, the abducted in plain sight. Did you watch that? Mm-mm. Holy shit. Oh my God. It was insane. Like I decided I'm not going to do any more child rape for a while. I'm on a break because <laughs> I can't handle it. Can't <laughs> fucking take it. Um, so yeah, I, I watched that and I, I was not going to do that story because I can't do any more child rape right yeah. now, but Oof. spoiler alert. No, I can't. I can't tell you because you're going to be like, what? What? While you're watching it. And you're going to have to watch it. Is it on Netflix? Yes. Okay. I'll watch it today. Abducted in plain sight. Okay. And then message me as soon as you get to the part where you're like, you're Ugh. you're kidding. I got to yeah. write it down or else I'm not going to remember. It's bad. The name. <clears throat> I mean, I'll remember it probably. Damn. 
So I have to work out today, but I've got two full hours before class starts. <laughs> yeah, maybe we'll make it. There. Maybe we'll make it. It's, uh, my hand's only three pages today, so oh, it's good. Fine. Mine's five, so it's not that bad. <laughs> we'll make it. It'll mm-hmm. be fine. Ted Bundy. Yeah, that was the only thing I had. Ted Bundy. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody's up in arms about Ted Bundy and mm-hmm. talking about how cute he is and all that. Yeah. But like like they're shocked. Yeah. That's how that's how he got away with it. It's because he was so yeah. attractive. I heard a good quote this morning on True Crime Garage. Mm-hmm. And it was no, it wasn't True Crime Garage. It was my favorite murder. And it <laughs> was um oh shit, I made a it was basically like oh fuck. Good pe- good looking people aren't always good or something like that. Mm. You know, Mm because like that's just the assumption is like you see this pretty person or Mm -hmm. this handsome person or this decent looking person and you're like, oh, they must be nice. Nope. But they're not always nice. I always think the opposite. There's a picture that I saw a long time ago and it's like this little girl who's dressed up in like this real pretty dress. Like Mm -hmm. she kind of dressed up as kind of like a ballerina type of outfit Mm -hmm. and she's holding a knife behind her back and then there's this scraggly older man who just kind of like honestly at first appearance is kind of creepy but he's Mm -hmm. holding a bouquet of flowers i've seen that and it's like Mm -hmm. can't trust people you have to get to know them you do don't get anybody's car that's true i okay did you ever see this movie copycat with sigourney weaver and that one guy no um, okay. That it was, one guy. It's from the 90s. <laughs> that, one that one guy. Uh, Harry Connick Jr.? Was that? No. No, it wasn't him. Could have mm-hmm. been him. Anyway, let me look it up. Okay. There's the, she's like giving talks about how to not get abducted. <laughs> and uh, let me ask the Gorney Weaver. Please let it be these actual peeper, people. <laughs> <laughs> um, but she, there's this one scene where she goes, <laughs> don't park next to vans. And I swear to God, me and my best friend would say that. All the fucking time. We'd be like, bye, don't park next to vans. Yeah. <laughs> I feel that. That's It was Harry Connick Jr. Good job. Yeah, there good was, for me. I went to CVS the other day after work on my way home, and it wasn't a van. It was like an older Ford with a, mm. like a cap on mm-hmm. it and stuff, so it was creepy. And then there, was, there, there were these two guys sitting in there, and they were Mm-mm. smoking, and they were older. And I was just like, it's like, oh. So I parked, and I i mean, it was the only parking spot available mm-hmm. that wasn't, like, in the back of the building. Ooh. So I pulled in next to him, and I was like, I looked over, and I was like, my windows are tinted, thank mm-hmm. goodness. And I looked over, and I was like, oof. And I was like, <laughs> grabbed my keys and kind of, like, held them real tight so I could pack a punch if I needed to. And I was like, and but, I mean, they were just regular people. Yeah, just, they were just existing. Yeah. Yeah. They were just sitting there smoking a cig. <laughs> <laughs> just, oh, my God. Sometimes, like, right now, when I'm working out a lot, I'm like, I'm going to park next to this van. Yeah. Come at me. Yeah, let me fight you. Let me show you how badass I am. Let me beat the (laughs) shit out of you, and then it turns out you have, like, seven women locked up in your basement, and I have freed them. Yeah. That's what I want to happen. Yeah. Yeah. I feel that. I worked out again last night, too. So, yeah, you're ready. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Abduct me, bitch. (laughs) Oh, Oh, my God. All right, so I'm going to go first today since I went last last time. That made sense. <laughs> Go first. <laughs> I went first last time. It's your turn. God. So this isn't like really, this is, we're going to talk about demonic possession today <gasps> is what we're going to talk about. Is this about my family tree? <laughs> <laughs> no. Okay. What? Just checking. Did you have somebody possessed in your family? I don't know. Oh. 
Anyway. Did you have somebody that was believed to be possessed in your family? Okay, so my birth mom totally <laughs> is, like, insane. Yeah. So. Oh, okay. Got it. Yeah. I put it together. Okay. There you go. Thank you. Oh, my word. Anna Elizabeth Michael was born September 21st, 1952 in Leibelfing, Bavaria, West Germany, hmm. to a Roman Catholic family. Annalise was raised alongside three sisters by her parents, Joseph and Anna. She was, re- she was religious and went to Mass twice a week. When she was 16, she suffered from a seizure and was diagnosed with temporal lobe epilepsy. In June of 1970, 16-year-old Annalise suffered her third seizure at a psychiatric hospital where she'd been staying. She was prescribed anti-convulsion drugs for the first time, including Dilantin, but the medications didn't help. She began claiming to see devil faces throughout the day. Later that month, Annalise was prescribed another drug, Aolept. I don't know if that's the right pronunciation. I searched for it, but it's an old, it's an old medication. Mm-hmm. So there's like no info. No info. Yeah. Um, but it was used in the treatment of various psychoses, including schizophrenia, disturbed behavior, and delusions. In 1973, she graduated and joined the University of Würzburg. Würz, Würzburg. Ooh. It's a German word, and it's it's like it's Würzburg, like spelling. But I looked it up, and it's it's Würz, Würzburg in German. Get it? I don't. I know. love that shit. Where uh, her classmates there described her as withdrawn and very religious. Same. Um, <clears throat> <laughs> By the end, she was suffering from depression and began hallucinating while praying. She also complained about hearing voices telling her that she was damned and would rot in hell. Annalise's psychiatric treatments were not working and her depression worsened. Long-term treatment wasn't helping either, and she grew increasingly frustrated with a medical intervention and having to be on medication for five years. Annalise began to attribute it to demonic possession, and she became intolerant of Christian sacred places and objects like the cross. Um, she went to San Damiano with a family friend who regularly organized Christian pil- pilgrimages. Pilgrimages. Sure. Yeah. It just sounds weird. It does. Her escort concluded that she was suffering from demonic possession because she was unable to walk past a crucifix and refused to drink the water of the Christian Holy Spring. Annalise told Father Alt, who we'll meet in a little bit, mm-hmm. um, that she was unable to enter the shrine. Uh, he says she approached it with great hesitation, then said that the soil burned like fire and she could be she simply could not stand it she then walked around the shrine in a wide arc and tried to approach it from the back she looked at the people who were kneeling in the area surrounding in the little surrounding the little garden and it seemed to her that while praying they were gnashing their teeth she got as far as the edge of the little garden and then had to turn back she tried coming from the front again and she had to advert her glance from the picture of christ who was it that was in the chapel of the house she made it several times to the garden but couldn't ever get past it, and she noted that she could also she also noted that she could no longer look at medals or pictures of saints because they sparkled so immensely that she couldn't stand it. Mm. Yeah. Holy mo <coughs> holy moly. God, that was stupid. That was great. <clears throat> um, both Annalise and her family, as well as the community, became convinced of her possession and consulted several priests asking for an exorcism. The priest declined, recommending the continuation of her medical treatment, and they informed the family that exorcisms required the bishop's permission. Um, in the Catholic Church, official approval official approval for an exorcism is given when the person strictly meets the set criteria. Then they are considered to be suffering from possession and under demonic control. So they have to meet, like, a specific mm-hmm. thing, and then the bishop's like, sure, you can do this okay. thing. <clears throat> 
Intense dislike for religious objects and a supernat- and supernatural powers are some of the first indications of demonic possession. Annalise worsened physically and was showing, showing signs of aggression, self-harm, and she even began to drink her own urine and eat insects. Yikes. Yeah. Oof. In November of 1973, Annalise started treatment with Tregetol, an anti-seizure drug and mood stabilizer. So the priest, Ernest Alt, who I mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. said that when he saw Annalise that she, quote, didn't look like an epileptic. I don't know what epileptics look okay. like. Okay, yeah. <laughs> like normal people. <laughs> like just a person yeah. sitting there. Um, and that he didn't ever see her having a seizure. Okay. Um, so I, how often is this guy hanging around, you know? And right. I mean, she had three seizures in the span of 16 years. Yeah, like have a seizure real quick then. Show me. Yeah. No, that doesn't work <laughs> like that, y'all. Um, Alt believed that she was suffering from demonic possession and urged the local bishop to allow an exorcism. In September 1975, Bishop Joseph Stengel granted the priest Arnold Wren's permission to exercise according to the ritual Roman- Romanum of 1614, but he ordered total secrecy about it. Uh, Renz performed the first session on September 24th. Annalise began talking increasingly about dying to atone for the wayward youth of the day and the, uh, ap- I don't know that word, and the priests of the modern church. Um, she also refused to eat towards the end. Mm. At this point, her parents stopped consulting doctors on her request and relied solely on the exorcism rites. 67 exorcism sessions. One or two each week, lasting, oh my gosh. lasting up to four hours, were performed over 10 months. Oh, God. Yeah. Um, on July 1st, 1976, Annalise died in her home at the age of 23. Mm. The autopsy report stated that the cause was malnutrition and dehydration due to being in a semi-starvation state for almost a year while the rites of exorcism were performed. She weighed 68 pounds. Oh, my God. Suffered, uh, and she had broken knees due to continuous kneeling. Uh, Like, the tendons in her knees were broken. Mm. Yeah. She was unable to move without assistance and was reported to have contracted pneumonia. After an investigation into Annalise's death, the state prosecutor maintained that her death actually could have been prevented even just one week before she died. In 1976, the state charged Annalise's parents and priests Ernest Alt and Arnold Renz with with negligent homicide. During the case of Annalise's During the case, Annalise's body was exhumed and tapes were played to the court of the exorcisms over the months that led to her death. The parents were defended by Eric Schmidt-Leichner, their lawyers were sponsored by the church. Mm. The trial started on March 30th, 1978, in the district court and drew intense interest. I mean, obviously. Right. Uh, Before the court, doctors testified that Annalise was not possessed, stating that this was a psychological effect because of her strict religious upbringing and her epilepsy. But the doctor, Richard Roth, who was asked for medical help by Alt, allegedly told her during the exorcism that, quote, there is no injection against the devil. So, like, you can't, like, get a shot and the devil's gone. Yeah. Uh, the lawyer Schmidt-Leichner said that the exorcism was legal and that the German constitution protected citizens in the unrestricted exercise of their religious beliefs. The defense played tapes recorded at the exorcism sessions, sometimes featuring what was claimed to be demons arguing, to assert their claim that Michael was that Annalise was possessed. Both priests said the demons identified themselves as Lucifer, Cain, Judas, uh, Judas Iscariot, Hitler, and Nero, among others. Um, 
Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so you're <clears throat> you're not just getting one. You're getting all the bad guys. Just a bunch of bad guys. All of the okay. devils. Every bad guy I can think of, I'm going to say their name real quick. Yeah. God. Um, they further said that she was finally freed because of the exorcism just before her death. <sighs> the bishop said that he was not aware of her alarming health condition when he approved the exorcism and he didn't testify. Um, which, I mean, I believe because I don't think they have to, mm-hmm. like, go and see. I don't know. Right. Um, the accused were found guilty of manslaughter resulting from negligence and were sentenced to six months in jail, which was later suspended, and three years of probation. It was a far lighter sentence than anticipated, but it was more than the prosecution requested, which was actually just that the priests only be fined and the parents be found guilty but not punished. Oh, my God. Yeah, so the prosecution the prosecution <clears throat> was like, they did it. They were bad. They are mm-hmm. guilty, mm-hmm. but... They don't deserve to go to jail because they killed their daughter. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, the church approving such an old-fashioned exorcism right drew public and media attention. Um, after the trial, the parents asked authorities for permission to exhume the remains of their daughter. The, fi- the official reason presented by the parents to the authorities was that Annalise had been buried in a hurry inside of a cheap coffin. Um, almost two years after her burial, on February 25th, 1978, Her remains were replaced in a new oak coffin lined with tin. The accused exorcists were discouraged from seeing the remains of Annalise. Arnold Renz later stated that he had been prevented from from entering the the mortuary. (laughs) And the church changed its position, stating she was mentally ill, not possessed. Her grave became and remains a pilgrimage site. Uh, Ulrich Neiman, a Jesuit priest, doctor, and psychiatrist that priests usually call on exorcism cases, told Mm -hmm. the Washington Post in 2005... Quote, as a doctor, I say there is no such thing as possession. In my view, these patients are mentally ill. I pray with them, but that alone doesn't help. You have to deal with them as a psychiatrist. But at the same time, when the patient comes from Eastern Europe and believes that he's been impaired by evil, it could be, it would be a mistake to ignore his belief system. Uh, Neiman further said that he does not think he is an exorcist and does not perform the Roman ritual of 1614. Academic Hike Schwartz. I don't know if that's his right. I don't know. Sure. Academic Hike right. Schwartz says that Annalise's case showed demonic possession as a variation of multiple personality disorder, now known as dissociati- right. dissociative identity disorder. Um, on September 9th, 2005, American Supernatural Horror Trial Film, The Exorcism of Emily Rose, premiered based on the exorcism of Annalise Michael. Oh, I didn't. I was. Yeah, that's all I could think about. Okay. Yeah. And lastly, on June 6, 2013, a fire broke out in the house where she lived. And although local police said it was a case of arson, some locals attribute it to the exorcism case. Oh! So that is the exorcism of, exorcism of Emily. No, of. <laughs> I <laughs> Shit. love you. Restart. Okay. That is the exorcism of Anna Elizabeth Michael. <laughs> Golly. Yeah. That movie was fucked. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, it yeah. scared me. I got to throw this away. Okay. Uh, ooh. Oh, I know. <laughs> that one wasn't even trapped in my throat or anything. It came right out. <laughs> <clears> throat> um, throat> the pictures on this one are scary. Are they? Yeah. I mean, if you've ever seen, oh, if you've ever seen a oh, horror shit. film that depicting an exorcism, mm-hmm. that's what it looks like. It's just like they look. Unreal. Like she's a monster yeah. because she's so yeah yeah, <clears throat> and then her only being sixty eight pounds makes it worse because she's right. sunken oh. in and oh it's it's spooky and there's one picture where like 
she, I don't know if she's like coming in the door or standing behind a wall or whatever, uh-huh. but it's like this part of her face and she, her eyes are just so dark and sunken in mm-hmm. and it's, it's spooky. So if you look oh. up these pictures, it's very, it's alarming. I'm going to wait and do it tonight when like the kids are asleep and I'm in bed and it's dark. <laughs> <laughs> you're brave. You're very brave. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. It's, <clears throat> yep. All right. What you got? Okay. So I that look you just gave me. Have you ever seen Tangled? Yeah. You know when I you used to be. Yeah. Okay. Of course you have. Um, I used to be what you used a mom? to be. You used to be a teacher, like <laughs> oh, an elementary yes. school teacher. So yeah. of course you have. But you know that look that Flynn Rider gives Rapunzel, and then he's like, <laughs> "That's what you just did to me," and it was great. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm trying to entice you with murder. <laughs> uh, this is not mentioned until the very end, so I'm going to go ahead and say it. Okay. I watched the first two episodes of the confession tapes on Netflix. Ooh. Did, have you seen that? I haven't. It's on my list of things to watch, though. The first two episodes, um, it's called True East, the True East Murders, I think, or something like that. Um, episode one and two or whatever, and then there was another one. But I started the the third episode and was kind of like, meh. Mm-hmm. Um, I had heard the podcast, the True Crime Garage guys did a podcast on it, and I was, like, obsessed with it because I couldn't believe, like, basically I couldn't believe they allowed the confession. Mm-hmm. So I when I realized it was about this same thing, and I've seen a Dateline, which... If I've seen a dateline on it, it was during a special time in my life when I was like a stay-at-home mom and I got like 14 minutes of sleep a night. Yeah. And it was like dateline was all I had. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so it re- they really stuck with me. So yeah. <clears throat> this one you can catch like a bunch of different places, but the confession tapes was what brought it back into my forefront. Mm-hmm. And that's why I chose it this okay. week. Okay. I'm excited. Okay. Me too. <sighs> On the evening of July 12, 1994, Dr. Tariq Rafay, which I have to say that I know a little boy named Tariq, and he's super sweet. Love him. Anyway, from when I used to do after-school care and all that. (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) Uh, Dr. Tariq Rafay, his wife Sultana, and their 20-year-old daughter, Basma, were viciously bludgeoned to death in their Bellevue, Washington Washington home. Atif Rafay, the son of Sultana and Tariq, found them when he returned home, um, like, early that morning, so later that night. Mm -hmm. The Rafay family had recently moved to Bellevue from Vancouver, British Columbia, when, I almost was like, what's BC mean? (laughs) When the brutal murders occurred, uh, Burns and Atif Rafay, I'm sorry, Burns is his friend, Sebastian Burns. Okay. Sebastian Burns and Atif Rafay, both Canadian citizens, were staying at the Rafay family house and visiting their family during a break from college. Atif Rafay and Sebastian Burns had become friends during their high school days in Vancouver, Canada. Atif came from an immigrant Muslim family from Pakistan. His father, Dr. Tariq Rafay, was a highly skilled engineer. His mother, Sultana, had a doctorate in nutrition and devoted herself to raising their disabled daughter and gifted son. So both doctors. Wow. Yeah. In 1994, the Rafay family moved across the border to Bellevue, Washington, in the Seattle metropolitan area. Atif, on break from his first year at Cornell University, Cornell, that's where Andy went, (coughs) met up with Sebastian at his parents' West Vancouver home. So 
Sebastian, it was kind of like, it seems like he was staying there. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? They're friends. He was staying there. Even though they're from Canada, they were living in the U.S. And um, Atif was going to Cornell. Got it. The two later traveled by bus to downtown Washington to visit Atif's family. Okay, that doesn't make any sense. But anyway, um, <laughs> on the night of the murders, the two young men claim that they went to dinner, they went to see the Lion King, and then they stopped at a club in Seattle for a nightcap. They returned home about 2 a.m. to find the horrific scene. Sebastian Burns called 911 for help. The two teenagers then ran into the street for police. So I couldn't find, like, a really good copy unless you, like, go on to Netflix and play it mm-hmm. of the 911 call. But, um, okay, so Sebastian calls 911, and he's like, well, I don't feel like it's safe here. Mm-hmm. I, and so that's why they go outside to the street. They're okay. not, like, just abandoning everyone. But they were scared. Like, mm-hmm. they got home and found all this, and they were like, oh, shit, call 911. And then they hang up, because this was in 1994. So it's not a cell phone. And then they go outside. Uh, then they ran into the street. First responders arrived on the scene pretty quickly. Uh, there was a report that... Um, They had trouble finding the house at first, and the boys had to, like, chase down a cop car that drove past them and, like, kind of, like, bang on the car, like, hey, here. Anyway, um, upon entering the Rafay's suburban Seattle home, police were shocked to find the crime scene. Sultana was dead from fatal blows to her head. Basma, the 20-year-old daughter, was critically injured, not Mm. yet dead, but she did die later at a hospital, having suffered repeated blows to her head and body. And Dr. Rafay's... It kind of bothers me that they just refer to the dad as a doctor because the mother had a doctor too. Mom was a doctor too. Yeah. Anyway, Tariq Rafay's body was on his bed with his head completely crushed in. Oh my god. Oh my god. Yeah. Oh. His bedroom was covered in blood, bone, teeth, and tissue from the brutal (gasps) killing. So it was definitely dad centric. You know, focused on yeah, Doctor Rafay, Tariq Rafay, not the mom. Also a doctor. I'm sorry. (laughs) According to official police (laughs) records, both Sebastian and Atif were visibly shaken and grieving for the loss of Atif's family the night of the murder. Both cooperated with authorities and did not request legal counsel. Atif even gave them the password to his computer and permission to check it for evidence. On the night of the murder, Bellevue police questioned the two young men but didn't arrest them. Mm -hmm. Instead, they put them up in a hotel with pagers, contact information, and told them to get some sleep. Have you like that's insane because yeah. they're they're 18, but um, I don't know why they couldn't rent a hotel room on their own. Maybe they didn't have the money, but they couldn't obviously stay at this home. They didn't have anywhere to go. So they put them in a hotel because they can't arrest them and put them in jail. Yeah. Bellevue police said they acted strange and something was not quite right and questioned their alibis. The alibis were seen by police as too solid and as an effort by the teens to avoid detection as the perpetrators of the crime. Mm -hmm. So the alibi was too good. (laughs) (laughs) No, no. Clearly, you couldn't have been there to do it, so that's wrong. Yeah. Yeah, just (laughs) stupid. In the days and months following the murder, the Bellevue police tried to put together a case, but discovered that the physical evidence pointed away from supporting that either of the boys were involved. Because they were getting their Lion King on. Right? It was 1994. (laughs) Just a couple of college dudes out seeing the Lion King. Burns' father was contacted, um, I think it was like a family friend, and brought both of the boys back home to Canada. When the two 19-year-olds left to return to Canada after the murders, 
granted they had not been told not to leave. Mm-hmm. They're not under arrest. News broke that they had fled. <laughs> Atif Rafay was not present for his family's memorial service, um, something that Sebastian Burns' family, if you watch the documentary, say that, like, infuriated him. I get that. But then also they were Muslim so that they have to be buried in a certain amount of time after their death. Yeah. With a lack of any forensic evidence linking Sebastian and Atif to the three homicides and no other suspects, the police went with their gut feeling and that told them that the two Canadian teens were guilty. Um, They found it odd in the 911 call Sebastian had stated that there had been a break-in, not that there had been a murder. Hmm. The scene of the crime was also staged to look like a break-in. Nothing apart from a Walkman and a VCR that Atif had mentioned had been taken from the home. Um, As far as the police were concerned, all the puzzle pieces pointing to Sebastian and Atif were falling into place as the murderers. (sighs) Okay. Here, I'm just going to take a moment here because I feel like, you know, people from a different culture canada is different mm-hmm. okay there maybe these boys were just a little more closed off like i sometimes have an issue where i don't like if something really sad is going on on tv or a movie i just like pretend i'm sad because other people are sad and it makes me look weird if i don't pretend mm-hmm. along yeah where i'm just like i can't just like sit there eating mike and ike's if someone's being if someone's mom's dying of cancer in this movie i'm like Mm, then what? You know, like, I, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so sometimes we don't have the the exact reactions that 95% of the population has. It doesn't mean I've killed anybody. Mm-hmm. News outlets began running stories on how the two Canadians were criminal geniuses and had committed the perfect murder um, from insurance money that Atif received. The two were able to rent an apartment along with their good friend, Jimmy Mayoshi, so another teenager, Mm -hmm. and buy a car. This was seen as flaunting insurance money from the murders and going on a shopping spree. Police authorities were certain that the duo had murdered the Rafays for the money. It's not, we're not talking like Menendez brothers. (laughs) did Did they forget all about the Menendez case? Right? I mean, come on. Nine months after the murders with the two in Canada, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, or we'll call them RCMP from now on, began an investigation. They had heard, you know, that these boys were being charged for murder, so they're going to find out what's going on. Although illegal in the United States, the RCMP wiretapped their house without their knowledge and began a months-long tactic called the Mr. Big Technique, in which undercover police disguised themselves as criminals. These criminals then befriended the suspects and claimed they knew their secret and developed a fabricated scenario in order to get the suspects to confess. Okay. Included in their scheme was a fake memo from Bellevue Police claiming they had forensic evidence that implicated the boys. Okay. The undercover agents lured Sebastian Burns into their fake crime organization, like a 19-year-old boy. They posed... As violent criminals, occasionally bragging about the people they had killed and making sure there were always piles of money laying around. You know, like it looked like yeah. the Sopranos, I guess. But Canada? <laughs> <laughs> the agents pretended to have underground connections to the Bellevue police investigation and the ability to make things go away. They placed Sebastian and Atif into a position of knowing too much and used threats of death and violence against them if they didn't cooperate. 
At first, the undercover agents casually brought up the subject of the murders, asking at first the, sorry, asking about what actually happened and why people thought that Sebastian and Atif were killers. One agent point blank asked Sebastian why they thought he was the murderer, and Sebastian said, because they don't have anyone else, they don't have any leads or forensic evidence. Mm -hmm. For months, his story was the same. Anytime the murders were mentioned, he would state that he and his friend Atif had nothing to do with it. Okay. The undercover agents graciously offered their assistance to the boys. If they only confessed and told them what really happened and how they murdered the Rafay family, they could make it go away. Just tell me everything that happened and we'll push it under the rug. Pressured with the very real threat of the death penalty. I mean, you know how people from outside of the U.S. view the U.S. and the death penalty. Yeah. (laughs) Like we're rooting, tooting, gonna, whatever. Even for a murder they didn't commit, they gave in. The confessions were recorded on video, and the inconsistencies were numerous. Like, you see them at one point. They're like, well, what'd you do with the clothes you were wearing? Oh, I we threw them in dumpsters all around Seattle. Like, a different article of clothing in a different dumpster all around Seattle. When did they have time to do that? Mm-hmm. No, you know, like, and then later on, they're like, well, how did you not get blood everywhere? And they said, we did it while we did it naked. Yeah. So they're just like they're just making shit up to try to get these like quote unquote mobsters, Mr. Big. Yeah. To be like, oh, okay, that's what happened. All right. Mm. So they're just coming up with shit to say. Okay. Sebastian and Atif agreed to whatever the agents suggested suggested had happened and contradicted themselves at every turn. The result was that Atif was sitting in the living room while Sebastian took a bat to every member of the family, naked, showered, they went back to finish their movie at the theater. So they said they did it during the movies. Like, they went in, sat down, then left, came home, got naked. Atif just chilled on the couch while Sebastian ran upstairs. Naked. Pop, pop, popped, naked. Balls out. I'm sorry, but... What? <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. It's it's insane. Okay. The coerced confessions weren't enough. The RCMP also believed that the young men's roommate, Jimmy Mayoshi, also had something to do with the murders. They lured him in to meet with the agents as well. Oh, Jesus Christ. After numerous back-and-forth exchanges, a visibly suspicious Jimmy pointed to Sebastian when asked who the killer was, closing the deal. The authorities had gotten what they wanted, confessions that implicated all three men in the murder of the Rafay family, even if they were the result of lies. And intimidation. So Jimmy never never admits to anything. Uh-huh. He just keeps his mouth shut. And then finally, after, like, a lot of pressure, they're like, well, who did it? And he just points to Sebastian. Because that's what they're both saying, even Sebastian. The very next day, Sebastian Burns, Atif Rafay, and Jimmy Mayoshi were arrested by Canadian authorities. Jimmy was threatened with conspiracy to commit murder should he not turn on the two. A terrified Jimmy cracked under pressure, telling the agents what they wanted to hear Sebastian and Atif refused to give in to the details being offered to them for turning on each other. After being released, Jimmy promptly fled to Japan. So he, like, left to go back home to his family. Because these are, like, young boys trying to get out on their own, that Mm -hmm. sort of thing. While the Mr. Big investigation was taking place, and even beforehand, other tips were were pouring into Bellevue Police Department. Unfortunately for Sebastian and Atif, these were ignored, one FBI informant told the Bellevue police that a Seattle cleric had ordered a hit on Dr. Rafay due to his beliefs in Islam. The informant provided a long and detailed list of the people who were involved. 
along with dates, photos, and phone numbers. He even stated that he saw the murder weapon in the trunk of one of their cars. At the time, the murder weapon was not known to the public. The Bellevue police ignored the information and considered the informant crazy. What? Oh, no. Yeah, an FBI informant. So he was saying, like, he had, there was, like, a, what is the, like, a group. Like a hate group. Yeah, basically. Or maybe not even a hate group. Maybe it was someone who was very devout. Yeah. Because... Dr. Raf- Dr. Rafay was a devout Sunni Muslim. Mm-hmm. He was president and co-founder of the Canadian-Pakistani Friendship Organization and advocated for a more moderate form of Islam. Okay. Dr. Rafay gave lectures on Islam in the Western world. As an engineer, he developed a computer program which confirmed that Muslims in British Columbia were not directly facing Mecca during prayers, but they were a few degrees off. Okay. Such a statement was highly controversial within the Muslim community and earned him numerous enemies. But it was 1994, 9-11 hadn't happened, and the thought of murder motivated by religious extremism in Canada or the U.S. was unheard of. Yeah. So he was basically telling the Muslim community that they hadn't been praying to Mecca this whole time and upset a fuck ton of people. Sebastian and Atif were placed in a maximum security facility in Vancouver to await trial in 1995. There were two Supreme Court trials held in Canada on whether they would be extradited to the U.S. and possibly face the death penalty. In 2001, after six years of incarceration, they were both extradited to Washington State for trial. That trial wouldn't occur until 2004. In total, Sebastian and Atif waited nine years for their trial. (sighs) Now, (laughs) nine years for a trial? Yeah. Yeah. God damn. So they've just been in jail for nine years just waiting to see if they're, they did this or not. Okay, so then a little hiccup happens. Sebastian's lawyer, Teresa Olson, convinced Jim Miyoshi to retract his statements. But just when things were starting to look up because he retracted his statements, a new scandal broke. No. Teresa Olson was caught having sex with Sebastian Burns in the county jail. What the <laughs> <laughs> What? <laughs> his lawyer. What? His lawyer. People close to the trial believed that the affair had been going on for months. Olson had been on the case for over 43 months at that point and was forced to remove herself completely. A new team of lawyers were brought in and the media had a field day with the scandal. What? <laughs> okay, so I pulled up some pictures of these kids. Oh, bless. So mid-90s. Okay. Oh, yeah. Are you ready for Teresa? Is this Sebastian? Yes. Okay. Show me Teresa. Yes, queen. No. Oh, my God. Look at that look. This. Oh, my. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's looks She's insane. so, like, she looks like the quirky art teacher or music teacher in, like, um, what was that Friday night? TGIF, right? Yeah. yeah. Step by step. It was a special episode. They're at the school. It's crazy art teachers got... Something going on for him. That's yeah. her. That's yeah, Teresa that Olson. Is... Oh, my gosh. <sighs> the main factor surrounding the trial was the fact that the Mr. Big tactic used to get the confessions out of Sebastian and Atif is illegal in the United States. Mm-hmm. As such, the defense argued that confessions should not be admissible in a U.S. court of law. Without the confessions, there would be no case. The presiding judge decided to allow the confessions to be used in the trial. He stated that the teens were free to break off their contact with the undercover officers at any time. This was a devastating blow to the defense. Obviously, Mm -hmm. 
Well, it's probably uh, what they had their entire case on. They're free. Yeah. They're free to break off contact with these guys who say they're going to kill him at any time. Just tell them no thanks. Thanks, but no thanks. The Royal Canadian Mounted Police recorded over 4,000 hours of audio and video during the Mr. Big Sting, including the so-called confessions. The recordings were played for the jury and what they heard, of course, shocked and horrified them because the boys were like, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like basically anything they said, they agreed to. And you can watch, like if you watch the, I almost said the audition tapes, <laughs> the confession <laughs> tapes, you you see them like just being mm-hmm. like, oh, yeah, yeah. You, it looks like they're just making shit up right as they're talking. Mm-hmm. The defense requested to bring in an expert to explain to the jury how such a covert operation can manipulate and coerce someone into confessing to a crime they didn't commit. The judge wouldn't allow it. The jury was also not allowed to hear evidence regarding the Islamic extremist organization, nor the FBI informant who had provided detailed knowledge of the hit that was ordered on Dr. Rafay, all evidence that the Bellevue police neglected to investigate, including physical evidence such as unknown blood and hair samples that were found in the garage and Dr. Rafay's bedroom that matched neither boy or any family member. What? And the mother was found on the floor facing east with a headscarf placed over her head, possibly indicating a religious connection. Uh-huh. <clears throat> Jimmy Mayoshi, who by then was living in Tokyo under an alias, well, yeah. was the final nail in the coffin. The prosecution discovered that he was working for an American company and pressured that company to get him to testify. His employer threatened to fire him if he didn't cooperate. Jimmy was granted immunity for saying that Sebastian and Atif were guilty. So, hey... Point the finger at them or your life's over, dude. What? Basically. In their closing arguments, the defense tried to emphasize the lack of any physical evidence, but both Sebastian and Antif were found guilty on three counts of murder and sentenced to serve three consecutive life sentences without the possibility of parole. In the judge's closing statements to Sebastian, he emphasized that he was um, convicted based on his own chilling, casual confession. The jury felt that both Sebastian and Antif who by the time of the trial had already been imprisoned for nine years, lacked empathy. Yeah. Despite the mounting evidence of their innocence, Sebastian and Atif remain in prison. Their appeal is still pending. Atif teaches other inmates in prison. Sebastian suffers from mental issues Mm -hmm. due to his many years spent in solitary confinement. Oh, my God. Uh, Netflix released a documentary series called The Confession Tapes, which included Sebastian and Atif's emotional story. The series has brought new awareness and interest around freeing the two falsely convicted men, apparent, you know, allegedly, I guess. Multiple innocence projects have dedicated their time and efforts towards helping them get out of prison. Mm-hmm. But they're still there. What? Without the possibility of a parole. What happened? <clears throat> how did How did that judge... How was he able to allow that confession to be used? That seems insane, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if it's obvious that they're just like, yeah, that's right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's what happened. Yeah, you got to watch it because they're like, oh, yeah, yeah. I mean. What? Yeah. That pisses me off. It pisses me off. I'm upset. I'm worried. And I think the other biggest thing is like, there's somebody out there that killed three people. Brutally. Like, brutal, brutally. And it was, like, clearly dad-focused. Yeah. Why didn't Atif do any of it? Like, they don't even touch on that. You know what I mean? Why did he just chill and, like, allow it? Yeah, why would he? And it's not like they got a ton of money, it doesn't seem. Like. Yeah. But they definitely were like, oh, they did it for money. 
<laughs> so they could afford an apartment and a car. Like a, an apartment, car. they have to have two damn roommates yeah. to share <laughs> and get one car. Woo! Ballin'. What? Yeah. Atif Rafay and Sebastian Burns. I believe wrongfully convicted. Mm-hmm. From all of the prepackaged things that I have seen placed before me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel that. Yeah. Yeah, I... I get that. I wonder what Teresa Olson's up to, the lawyer. I wonder what she's doing these days. <laughs> Not banging in me. <laughs> I mean, maybe. Maybe she is. Maybe she's got maybe she got married and having conjugal visits or something. Snap. Um, Atif Rafay did get married and his wife is part of the documentary. Also, um, Sebastian Burns' dad is part of the documentary. And okay. he he has like kind of an accent, like a Canadian accent. Mm-hmm. Um He's very proper. He says strange things. Like, he wanted to say the the detective was, um, like, a tough guy. Mm-hmm. He said he was a hard-dicking detective. Oh, yes! <laughs> and I loved it so much. Um, but that also makes me think, if you grew up with that guy as your dad, you are not going to talk like you and I talk. Yeah, no. You're going to talk, like, in some weird kind of, restrained because this dude was totally restrained Mm -hmm. you know he was just kind of I don't know oh my goodness he was interesting so I feel like these boys just especially Sebastian didn't have the right reaction like you know how that happens people get it's like a your first what is it your first um your first impression their impression your first impression I think they just had an immediate bad impression right off the bat and that's what happened I've got so many questions (laughs) Okay. So, like, if you can't judge people's reactions, I've learned. Because, I mean, just the difference between you and I, I will cry at the drop of a dime, and it's going to take you more than a lot. It's going to take a minute, yeah. So, I cry when there's a cute animal that runs across the TV screen. (laughs) And if somebody's mother is dying of cancer on the TV screen, right? You're, it's, it's whatever for you. So, you can't judge. Yeah. If these boys came home to this, right, felt that it wasn't safe, so they had to get out of the house because, I mean, maybe maybe they heard a noise that mm-hmm. was like, oh, shit, somebody's still in here. Right. And they had heard something from the sister's room, but in the documentary, it says one of them says, or that Atif says, he didn't go in to check on her because he doesn't even know how to put on a Band-Aid or something. I really feel like, he, they're like kind of in shock. Imagine you get home, you, you've been to dinner, you went to the movies, you went to have a drink afterwards, yeah. you're 19 years old, you go home and you're like, what happened? Yeah. I don't know. And then, so they do this. Okay, that's fine. Mm-hmm. So then mm-hmm. maybe they don't have a great initial reaction because they're in shock. Right. And they're just like stone cold. Like what happened? Don't, they can't wrap their head around it. Mm-hmm. However much they had to drink or didn't have to drink could mm-hmm. also affect that reaction. True. And then nine years later, you're judging their reactions to the thing? Imagine, like, honestly, there had to have been times in those nine years, especially being Sebastian. You know, like, those aren't his, that's not his family. Yeah. Like, the death of that family ruined his fucking life. Yeah. Like, I don't know how much empathy I would have. Mm-hmm. To be honest, apparently I don't have much anyway. So, you know what I mean? Like, not on the surface. Yeah. I don't know. I don't, I don't understand. I don't either. I, 
And you can't put like, yes, maybe the murders were a a hate crime. Mm-hmm. But you can't put that their situation as a hate crime because they're two different races. Right. And I mean, Sebastian may might have been Muslim. Who knows? You can convert to You Islam can totally can. Stuff. Yeah. So but appearance wise, mm-hmm. they're different. Right. And Sebastian is the one that is going that is getting thrown under the bus. Mm-hmm. So I don't I just don't there's a lot of like it doesn't make sense. It doesn't add up. It and doesn't add even up. At if, all. Even if they are guilty, they have all of this stuff going against them. The freaking hair and blood that was doesn't match anybody in the family. Yeah. They were like, Well, know. we found Sebastian's hair in the shower as well. And they're like, Yeah, yeah it could have been there from previous. There. Yeah, right. Like <laughs> yeah, they're like, Yeah, that's that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay. But then they found hair that didn't match anyone that lived in the home. So, huh. I don't know. Even if they were, even if they were guilty, and they have all of this stuff going against them, mm-hmm. they then I mean they did a real good job at covering it up. But they shouldn't be. I don't. I just don't. There's. I don't understand. It doesn't make any sense. It's kind of bullshit. Um, I honestly feel like they're. I mean, I feel like they're innocent, and this sucks. Yeah. I mean, I know, like, one side sees it one way, one side sees it the other way. And you can read a story that paints it either way. Mm-hmm. But, man, come on. And no matter what, even if they did it, even if they get out today and tomorrow there's a videotape of them just, like, yeah, beating the shit out of everybody, that confession should not have been allowed. No. It should not have been allowed. Mm-hmm. And I can't believe it's, the, like, a normal thing a to do. It's a false confession. Right? You don't allow false confessions in any other case. Why are you allowing it in this one? Because we hate Canadians. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's, that's it. why. Um, it's a hate crime against Canada. Oh, shit. There's something else I was going to say. Beaten people. Fuck, I don't remember. <laughs> Beaten people. Like I was like mm. going back in my mind. And Jimmy, Jimmy Mayoshi, he was not even involved that night. It doesn't yeah. seem. He just came about later. They were like... Oh, there's this one kid in our college class that doesn't want to, that his roommate's moving back right? to Colorado. Yes. You want to come live with us? And he's like, sweet. He's and you like, guys yeah, got a thanks, car too? Guys. Awesome. Yeah. Can I borrow the car on Tuesdays? Oh my God. Taco Tuesday at the local Mexican Do restaurant. you want to see a picture of Atif and his wife? And, yeah. And they both look so weird. And she's in the, she's in the confession tapes. And I don't, I don't like her demeanor. Because she's very kind of, you can tell she's nervous. Yeah. So she's got like a giggly kind of thing. Mm. So maybe she fucking killed him. Yeah, maybe she, she didn't did. know him in 1994, but she wasn't acting the way I wanted her to act. So let's convict her of the crime. Oof. Get Boom. It. Yeah. I know what I was going to say. I was going to say, what 18 year old boys mm-hmm. would admit to going to see the Lion King together? Right. Together. Together. Would admit that. We went to dinner and then we went to see the and Lion King. And it not King. be true. <laughs> I mean, I know the Lion King is great and just about everybody has seen it and are proud to say that they've seen it and love it. Oh. But in 1994, yeah. those were some, those were some like stereotypical 90s dudes. Yeah. In Sebastian's 1994, <laughs> what 18 year old guy would say, oh, hey, what'd you do last night? I went and hung out with my best friend, Sebastian. We went and saw The Lion King together. It was so good. I loved it. And it was great. (laughs) 
Like that should that alone oh, should have been your like mm, no. Sure didn't. Um, speaking of people who don't react the way you want them to react, uh, when I finally showed The Lion King, because I was not a huge Disney person, and The Lion King, I almost aged out of it. Mm-hmm. I was oh, 13 when it came out, so I was too old to really give a shit about Disney movies. Yeah. So we watched it when my daughter, who's now 16, she was nine, okay. and my son would have been five. And after it was over, I was like, well, what'd you think? She goes, what? Why did they show this movie to children? It's terrible. And I was like, <laughs> she's like, it's so upsetting. That's hilarious. Yeah, it's kind of upsetting. Yeah, it is. Yes. Yeah. All those Disney movies are real horrible if you little, think about little it. Little upsetting. <laughs> Interesting. Do you feel any better? I still have a pounding headache. You can tell you don't feel great, and I'm These so loud. Are, and I'm was, so sorry. When I was tracking earlier, I was like, I'm gonna have to turn down. I'm gonna have to turn off these lights. I didn't. I was just like, just power through it. Just we it. could have had the lights out. I, I like it here. Thought about it just now. Oh, my balls. Yeah, you I'm should go have, home. I'm gonna have to go home. I'm gonna have to go sit in a dark room. Yeah, I have to do. I can tell you're not yourself. I have a raging migraine. For those of you that couldn't put two and two together. She's so reserved. I've today. had it since I got here at well, I I didn't have it when I got here. As soon it as got you got here, here, as soon as I got here. You said I was I was like, Are you okay or something? And you were like, Well, the drive in was kind of tense. Yeah, and the, then you said it was at the back of your head. And I mean mm-hmm. that was like at five forty this morning. Yeah. I had like so it snowed last night mm-hmm. and it snowed like two inches ish. Not much. Not too much. And being from Michigan, I know how to handle my car in the snow really well, but mm-hmm. other it's other people that don't. And it was just, I have a 45-minute drive to work every mm-hmm. morning, and it was just a stressful drive. And I got here, and I was like, oh, so a little tense, and I was like trying to relax, and then I could feel headache coming on. Yeah. And, just, She's and not it turned her, into a migraine. So. Her normal bubbly... Yay! At least it's Friday and I can go. I'm gonna go home at eleven o'clock on a Friday. <laughs> yes, get out of here. But that's not even that early for us. That's like leaving at like three on a Friday. I it's know. Not super early. Yeah, it's like I've already been here since like it's five. A, it's almost eleven. Let's say you took a lunch. Yeah, you're leaving like two hours early max. Yeah, like if that. Yeah, because I was gonna have. To, I was gonna go to lunch anyway because I didn't bring my. I didn't bring lunch. Yeah. So I was going to go take an hour lunch anyway. So I'm going to work out and then maybe I'll get a stupid grain bowl from 4th Street. A stupid grain bowl. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Because uh, um, it's good for me, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. My grandpa's birthday is tomorrow. <gasps> uh, Groundhog Day. This will come out two days after his birthday. Oh, my gosh. His birthday is not on Groundhog's Day. I yeah, love it that. Is, and Happy I love it. birthday. I love it. You make sure to tell him I said that. I will. Okay. So So we did really good. We did good time today. Yeah, we did. (laughs) We did take three hours. Because you're like ill. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad that I didn't have like that difficult of a story to understand. Me too. And I feel like, (coughs) oh my God, I almost died. (laughs) I feel like, like it just came out really quick. God damn. Um, We both knew a lot about our stories. So it was really like, and then this. Yeah. Yeah. And then this happened. And then so, that happened. If you want to go to my house and lay in my bed, you totally can with my Pikachu and Fortnite blanket. Oh, that's and, sweet of you. And all that. I'm going to go lay in bed. I'm going to go lay in my own bed, though. Yeah, I get that. I'm just going to have to suffer. I'm just going to put on my sunglasses and. Yeah. It's cloudy. On this cloudy out. day. It's put cloudy, on my sunglasses. Shoo. Yeah. You don't feel good. No. 
All right. Well, that's another episode. We'll be back next week. And then next week, we should do a Valentine's Day one. Oh, my God. Jilted lovers. Jilted? I don't know. Killer crushes. Killer crushes. Killer crushes. Ooh. Yes. I got a killer crush on you. I'm going to stab you.